Welcome to Founded Fetch Day. I'm Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I'm pleased you're joining us. We're all about diving into the fascinating world of gun dogs. Whether you're a beginner or have years of experience, there's something here for you. So get comfy and let's get this conversation started. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. With me today is Lucy Hall, our LWDG regional organizer for the Midlands and a setter judge in her own right. And we're going to be talking all about the elegance and skill sets of the English pointer and the four setter breeds. So before we started, how are you today, Lucy? Very well, thanks, Joe. How are you? I'm quite excited, but quite um, nervous about this podcast because I will be honest, put my hand up and say, I know nothing about set of breeds um i've fallen in love with yours and sometimes things it would be a great idea to have one but i don't really know anything about them and i certainly don't know anything at all about an english pointer i'm not even sure if i've actually met one so let's start first of all with your background how you got into setters how you became a judge how you're involved in all that side of it so basically i've just grown up uh with setters and pointers uh, my dad got um, interested when I was probably about two and he got his first English pointer. Um, it was more a showbread uh, bitch rather than a, a working bread bitch. And he in, um, got interested and went and found out a bit more about the trials and everything. Um, and then he got himself a working bread pointer bitch. And then it kind of he kind of carried on from there. And so... All my summer holidays have been spent up on the grouse moors, going to field trials and everything. He has mainly been in, uh, an English pointer enthusiast. Um, he has had a couple of English setters purely from his point of view because he's an A-panel judge. He thought that uh, because points and setters are quite different in the way they work, he thought really that to be a proper all-round judge, he should really know about and work both breeds. Uh, which I really respect that. I think that's a really lovely thing to do. And I hope to do that as well one day. Uh, but at the moment, I'm very much English setters. Um, my passion for them kind of started, it was fueled by a lovely guy on the field trials who um, who's kind of a legend on the field trials, Colin Organ. He had a lovely little English setter bitch that I fell in love with when I was about 13. Um, really beautiful. Um, and then when we were about 25, when I was about 25, uh, we used to go shooting um, up in the Angus Glens over the dogs. And um, a great friend of mine, Dom Gutorb of Upperwood English Setters, he had some cracking dogs. I mean, they were literally on fire that first season that we were up there. And uh, he said, or oh, would I be interested? Um, he was putting a couple of dogs together, uh, Troy and Cleo. Um, and from that, I got Inca, my first um, little English setter bitch. So it's kind of started from there. Um, I always thought that I would be working the dogs, having you know grown up with my dad doing it and helping him. And I thought I'd have my own dogs from quite early on, say 18, 19. Um, but I didn't actually get into probably until I was at my early 30s, um, just purely because other things got in the way, work, life. And I went and lived in London for a bit, so it wasn't obviously suitable to have the dogs. Um, but now I have three English setters. Um, I got Inca's um, nephew, a couple of years ago 
Um, and accidentally, and you might think they're a bit close, but we had um, a pup arrive from the two of them um, earlier on this year in the spring. So I've got little Solo as well, who's uh, 18 weeks. Um, and I'm just actually, I've spent this summer up on uh, the moors in Durham and Scotland uh, training uh, grouse counting and uh, just working and trialling them. So it's, yeah, I absolutely love it. It's where my, I escape to and um, yeah, huge passion. You've definitely began, um, you've definitely become within our community the like go-to setup person. <laughs> That's always fantastic. If anybody asks a question, we're like, fine, Lucy Hall, straight away. Um, yeah. But tell me a little bit more, because like, I know very little about the setter. So if you start with mm-hmm. that, but I do know that they're one of those breeds that are marked by the kennel club as being not in danger of being extinct, but they, their numbers are dwindling to a really low level, aren't they? Yes, very much so. I think mainly because shooting has changed. So over the years, I mean, sorry, way back, um, the estates generally did a lot of shooting over dogs, i.e. the points and setter breeds. So that they had huge kennels on site at the estates uh, to go out and take guns over them. Then obviously driven shooting has uh, grown and um, that took over. So those kennels were not required anymore. So the dogs, dog, the dogs weren't required and they didn't breed anymore. Um, it's funny that over in Europe, um, English English setters are they bred in huge numbers. I mean, in the thousands. Whereas over here in the UK, when it's our own breed, uh, for argument, for example, the English setter, you only have what two or three hundred bred a year, and predominantly those are showbred setters. And that's another thing, just to um, make a point of, is that it's sad as well as the fact that the um, working breed, uh, breeds of setters um, and the show breeds are now becoming two very distinct different breeds um, purely because the show setters are larger bigger coats whereas the um, working bred ones are smaller faster less coat on them and obviously more suitable to doing what they were bred for uh, which is going out running running at distance and finding and pointing game um, but I think also the reason for the decline in the numbers is you've got labs and spaniels, you can go and train those dogs anywhere. You've got a scrubby, rough bit of ground, you can go on there with a spaniel and teach it everything it needs to then go on to a shooting day. Whereas if you go, if you take on a setter or English pointer, you need ground tr- proper ground to train it on. You need vast expanse. I mean, I go around asking farmers down here in Oxfordshire, um, can I go and, you know, run my dogs on your, uh, you know, do some training on your uh, stubble or your um, spring barley or spring corn? Um, because, all right, sorry, I spend loads of time driving up north to the grouse moors to go and train up there on the grouse um, because you do need access to, to the ground and you can't really uh, simulate um, training for them like you can a spaniel or lab or indeed an HPR you can use dummies for retrieves and everything. We don't actually retrieve with our dogs, predominantly, some people do. Um, but, you know, on the whole, we need live game to train them. Um, we expect our dogs to be steady to flush, i.e. drop, and be steady to the, uh, to the gun. So you can't really ever simulate that without being on live game. So I think as well that kind of does make it 
make them not a you know a popular dog to have um, and I think with the rise in the HPRs and the interest in them and their popularity, because they're an all-rounder do- all dog, you know, hump point retrieve, um, and they're possibly easier to have, um, makes them, you know, makes the setters and pointers a, de- a declining type of dog. It is, like, actually quite tragic if you think about it, isn't it? Because, like you said, the, the breed, the show breed, the working breed are separated out, so the actual numbers of working bred setters is really you know extremely dwindling clapped on top of that then this this in unavailability in the environment to to cope with the dogs and what and training is, is only going to impact them more and more as we mm. get access to less and less land um so we've got the four different breeds of setters take us through what you know what they are and roughly why they why they're different different well on the whole i mean all setter breeds pretty much do the same um you've got the irish setter the english setter the gordon setter and the irish red and white they all do have their own little characteristics um i'm you know i'm not going to go all into them because i have to admit i don't fundamentally know every every little uh, single uh, difference um i know more you see more of the english and irish setters and gordons rather than the irish red and whites um but some people may not know the Irish red and whites. They're uh, predominantly white with um, solid bits of, um, I suppose, ginger, the Irish color, um, set of colouring on them. Um, obviously, people will know the black and tan of the Gordon, uh, the different varying belt and colours of the English setter, motley colours. Um, and then you've obviously got the um, the red or Irish setter. Um, but the setter breeds tend to, I mean, obviously, set birds. Um, they're more cat-like than the English pointers. Uh, they like to pin their birds. So when uh, your dog, uh, the dogs are quartering, and when they're quartering, they are going at distance. So we are talking, you know, they could be going out 80, 100 metres each side of you. Um, it, and this is when you, will, you always work them into the wind, generally, um, unless you're working a downwind or a cheekwind. But generally, you want to work them into the wind and they'll be going yeah, 80 to 100 metres each side. Um, when they they might, what they'll do is they'll indicate uh, that there's some birds ahead of them. Now, depending upon how far those birds are and how strong the wind is and the sense being brought back to them, a very good and I suppose experienced dog, because a pup won't do this straight away, um, my, my, I mean, my bitch Inca does it, she will uh, indicate and then if the birds she knows are too far away, she will then flick off and carry on quartering and take a couple more cuts before she can get close to those birds and actually pin them so, I, uh, so that she goes on point and those birds are only maybe three metres in front of her. Um, I mean, that in a way is absolutely fantastic for a shooting day because you're not wasting any ground. So, and by me- that, I mean, so if birds are miles ahead and if you had which is typical, I have to say, of an English pointer. An English pointer will more likely rode in, i.e. it strides in, carries on going, keeps on going um, until it gets to its birds. Whereas generally, um, and I might get told off by English pointer enthusiasts for this, but you know, but that's the way that's the way I see it. But generally with an English, uh, sorry, a, a setter breed, particularly English setters, obviously from my experience, is that they want to pin these birds. So therefore... By taking, by ignoring those birds ahead of them, and they're taking another cut, 
they're not going to waste ground because they could find other birds on their beat. And therefore you have you haven't missed any birds. And that obviously helps with grouse counting. It helps out on a shoot day because, you know, you, the worst thing a gun wants to do is walking out to a point that could be far off and then walks up some birds. And you're told on a shoot day, if you're going over points and satters, is please do not shoot wild birds because that can also, um, well, damage is probably the wrong word, but it can it's not very good for the actual working dog. So by taking this extra cut, they can then find other birds but and then also get closer. So actually on a shoot day, when they're pinning the birds and the birds are only three metres ahead of them, it's far better for your guns because they're going to be uh, closer to them to shoot and therefore more likely to shoot them. Um, so, so, sorry, that's in a bit of a garbled way. But no, that's I, no, I, I, <laughs> I've definitely kept up with you. And, you know, like I know from the videos some of our ladies prep and videos you have shared with me, watching um, your setters work, watching setters work, it's like, for me, it, it's terrifying. You know, we try to keep our dogs quite close and you, your dog's like, it's covering a field in, in one stride. Like it's like, yeah. and it's unreal. <laughs> um, and like you said, you haven't been training for months and months and months in your garden. So you think, okay, well, I've got 80, 20 chance here of having some control of the little monkey. You are training on live games. So there's so much going mm. on that you have to think about but explain to me a little bit more now that I understand why the set is doing what they're doing what makes the English pointer a pointer and not a setter I'm sorry pointer people I just I need to understand why what they do with a different name yeah no I'll try and I'll try and explain it's quite difficult because I always think you know fundamentally they're very similar you know they're going out they, they run in exactly the same pattern, quartering and everything into the wind. Um, and obviously, they're there to go and uh, run and find and point game. Um, but I suppose it's more, there's very small little tendencies, differences and characteristics. And one I've touched on was the roading in of a pointer. So a pointer will stand there on point. And I don't know why, I suppose... I don't know why they call them setting and pointing. Um, I still say, you know, when I talk about my setters, I still say, oh, they're on point. Um, I suppose with a setter, they crouch down. They quite often, uh, characteristic is they crouch down into the ground. So sometimes in the heather, if a setter's uh, crouched down on point, you can't see it. Whereas a pointer stands very tall um, on point and you can and I mean it's a beautiful sight to see it on a heather moorland or even on a partridge field as a pointer standing there really proud um, and on point um, but pointers quite you know characteristic of them is like I said they like to road into their game so they'll take a scent or they'll get a scent um, and it can be quite far off and they really like to stride in and take you into that game on uh, and can take them quite uh, you know take you in from quite a far distance um and i'd say that's the biggest for me is the biggest difference really um is the way they stand on point and uh difference you know compared to a setter crouching down and then the setter being cat-like and wanting to pin their birds and the pointers the english pointers wanting to kind of road in um and I suppose as well, we um, we also, when I'm training my setters, is because I'm aware that I don't want them to learn to road in and pull into their game, I will actually teach them to, um, I'll stop them and I'll recast them 
so that they actually learn that they can't keep on roading into that game. They've got to cover and do their groundwork. Um, so, yeah. Um, I suppose then in, in similarities to a, a, a Springer Spaniel that's beaten, it's like just because you know something's there doesn't stop you covering the ground that's in front of you. You still need to do exactly. the work. It's yeah, not, exactly. The aim is not to get to the bird and miss all this land in between. Exactly. And I mean, to be fair, it is that is that can get you in huge amounts of trouble if you're competing in field trials on partridge. Partridge are very unforgiving. Um, so for a good dog um, on uh, stubble, especially on partridge, they have got to do their groundwork. And that means doing flat quartering um, that's yeah flat and wide to, to cover their beat but also make sure that they cover all the ground because that, I mean, it's happened to me. My dog wasn't doing the groundwork well enough. She's pulled forward or whatever and miss birds. And unfortunately in a field trial, you are out. <laughs> it's, Thank you very much. Pick up please. <laughs> so no many um, things in a field trial, they want to throw you right out for. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, you know, the same can be said of a shoot day. You don't, you again, you don't want to miss birds and get, uh, miss those opportunities for your guns because quite often guns will be paying you uh, to shoot over your dogs. So therefore your dogs, you know, if they're either going and doing unproductives, which is when a dog goes on point, but there's actually nothing there, it could be old scent or the dog misses game, then your guns aren't going to be very happy. So, yeah. Yeah. So now that we've got a bit more of an understanding of like the English pointer and the four setters, for a lot of people, I suppose, they're like, oh my God, I've seen, I've seen them. They're beautiful. Like, I love yours to death. I, I <laughs> love your, not your littlest boy, but your middle little boy. Um, so much. He's adorable. I could spend mm. forever with him. Um, but they're not they're not an easy dog to have as um a weekend pet slash estate dog slash canny cross dog are they they're not that type of dog not at all i know mean, obviously as you've seen they are brilliant around the house they're brilliant with children um i mean my lot they live out during the day and come in at night and they're very good at just settling down um and when they're not being used um, and they're so soft, the best temperaments um, and really loving in that way. But you take them out um, either to work or just um, I mean, I don't actually walk my dogs in the walking sense of the way. And I know a lot of people with setters and pointers who don't as well. And that's purely because it's not because they don't have a good recall or anything. It's because these dogs want, as you've seen in my clips, is that they want, you know, they go at speed um, and if the, I mean, they will naturally work the wind in a fence paddock. It's just the working bred dogs, it's so naturally built into them to work and hunt and find game that to go on a walk down a footpath or something like that, it's boring to them. And they will constantly, you know, if there's any scent of a pheasant, rabbit, hare or anything, they will want to go and, you know, point it. So the easiest thing and the way to manage these dogs is really, I, I'm very lucky. I have access to some fenced in fields and that's what they predominantly go and get exercised in every day. Um, and while I'm out there, I'll do some recall. I'll do some sit stays. I'll do some drop whistles at distance and just keep that, that kind of basic obedience ticking over. But on the whole, they can go and do what they like. They might go and um, point on a, a blackbird in the hedge 
but that's that's just what they do uh whereas also because they're allowed in a way that's their fun area when i take them out to train um or work them um then that's when i expect that you know they can't do a false point or something like that they've got to uh, learn about the different scents and you know i can tell from the point the type of way they're pointing whether it's a hair whether it's a it's actually a point at all or there is actually something there and you learn that obviously by working the dogs um i mean i <laughs> people will be surprised but i will only perhaps train to, i mean at the moment my dogs effectively are on holiday we've come back from the grouse moors where obviously we were out every day um, but now I, I'm not doing the um, autumn trials on Partridge in Norfolk next week just because of work. I can't do it. Um, and so really, I've got no real need for them until next February, March time, when I start uh, grouse counting and I'll probably go up to Scotland for some trials and start working them again. So they effectively go on holiday. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean that I don't do a spot of training every time, but I might only train once a week, twice a week and take them out. So it is a different type of dog to manage, uh, really. Um, and like you said, if you haven't got access to the the land that you need to train on or the reason to train in that way, they they are at the moment more like a pet to you, but they're your pet that needs a ginormous garden. Yeah, well, yeah, yes, they do. I mean, I don't have a huge garden. They have access to a dog, uh, you know, a kind of fenced-in dog, dog run. Yeah. But yeah, but to but to but to be able to take them out and give them that freedom to run, they're not dogs. If you put a lot of spend a lot of time putting obedience into them, um, especially the English setters, they can and you're hard on them. Some dogs they will just back off. They are it takes they're very slow maturers. Um, I think I might have commented on a post uh, probably a couple of years ago when Jago, my middle dog, um, was only six months old. I'd only then at six months, and okay, I hadn't been training him every day to do this, but I did it little and often. And I was really pleased because at six months old, I was able to step away from him without a lead on and take two steps away and he sat and stayed for 10 seconds. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's very slow. People with who have labs and spaniels and then think, oh, let's try a satter or a pointer. They find it, I think, very hard to adjust because they're, it's a completely different mentality. You have They are very much dogs. They, I mean, Jago is now two. He's not quite still 100% steady on his birds, but he's getting there. And you very much have to think about the conditions that you're training in. Um, I mean, I put myself under so much pressure this year to get him rock steady and ready for trials or ready for working on a shoot uh, up on the moors. And... You know, I probably put too much pressure on myself back in March and this summer saying, right, I've got this time. I've got a week up on the moors each time. I'm going to do it. Um, and we didn't. And the reason being is because in March, the conditions weren't right for a young dog. Um, the t weather was terrible, which meant the grouse weren't behaving. They, The cockbirds were springing up everywhere, flying around and then coming back in again and landing in front of him. So poor dog just didn't have the opportunity for a clean point in production and so kept on chasing his birds and he I mean I have them on a long line uh, to steady him but he kept on chasing and not being steady in the summer um, he got very sticky on his birds because he's got a very good nose and up in northern England there's far more birds than there are in uh, Scotland and he literally and the broods were big 
And it was literally as he, he'd been hit by a brick wall of scent and he just couldn't move. And you've got to, I do get frustrated sometimes and uh, everything, but you've got to go, right, okay, take a deep breath. And you've just got to work with the, uh, it's going back to working with the dog in front of you. Um, so anyway, I went up to Scotland where the uh, brood sizes were smaller. There was less grouse. And suddenly I had a different dog on my hands. He was running, he was working out um, old scent, new scent. And it was just absolutely amazing. And the difference and what I, what I could do in two or three days, given what I'd had before and not been able to achieve anything, was amazing. And he learned in two or three days so much. Um, and I was just, you know, it's a shame I couldn't have stayed up to consolidate what we were getting, what we're doing. And he's now going to have to wait until next year. Um, and I mean, I might get up to the moors a little bit over the next few months uh, to hopefully consolidate and everything. Um, but yeah, it's very much working with the conditions you've got um, and you're having to take those into consideration all the time about how, why your dog's behaving in a certain way. Um, I think far more so than Spaniels and Labs um, because they are, uh, and points are so sensitive to the way the wind's going, what scent's like on the ground. Um, and, and, you know, some people, if their dog's being sticky um, and sticky on scent, they'll be like, oh, bloody dog, it's no use. When in actual fact, if you take into consideration how what brood sizes are, how much birds there are, you kind of go, yeah, that's the, that's, that's the reason why. And there's no point, I think, sometimes fighting your dog. So I've come back and he's uh, Jago's been a bit sticky on the stubble because there's loads of hair sent around and everything. And he's stop, 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 stopping. And yes, I'm taking him out once a week, twice a week on it to get him running through and getting used to that. But I have actually said to myself, I would like to do more with him, but there's no point because at the end of the day, all I'm doing is fighting him and it's just not fair. So I'm just taking my time. And this is why he may not be ready um, as in a complete dog in until maybe another year. But I'm far happier to do that and take the time. It's mad, isn't it? Because like you're talking like working from maybe like months ahead in your training process and your training thinking, obviously doing stuff in the week, but thinking about different elements and having access to those elements at different points throughout the year. And then with our like Spaniards and labs, we are like, not short-sighted, that's the wrong word, but we're so focused on doing so much every single week with mm. that, that we, we don't have that, not foresight, well, how, what am I trying to say here? We don't think about, well, what am I going to be doing in March with the dog? Because we're thinking, well, what are we doing in September with the dog? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very much like that. I mean, I'm like that with my Spaniels. It's very much, you know, you've got a shorter, shorter, because you, you're packing in more into a shorter space of time. Whereas with these dogs, it's, yeah, I suppose it's, again, um, the reason for, you know, or the aspect of having access to ground that you can train on. And so you can't, I can't always be up on the moors or a certain type of ground might suit the dog better to get him going. And you want to put, give the dog the best possible conditions to get the best out of them when they're young, to get them going. Um, you know, for me with him, because he's got such a good nose, there's no point in taking him to a place and where there's so much scent um, because I'm just not going to achieve anything. And both he will get completely frustrated, completely confused, and you know could shut down on me and I will get frustrated and everything as well so you've kind of you're just always thinking of the 
the best conditions that you can train a young dog on really um i think it was sam it was sam uh tony Crop taylor who said to me about the dogs when they were young and i was taking them out on their first like beat and i was going out without it was the first time i was going out i think without dad if i remember rightly um so i was really nervous anyway about getting back out there without him and, and how i would feel about that but also the fact that i didn't have that person like constantly mentoring me you've been able to say oh, mm. you know the dog's doing this and going right do this you know like 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 a, like a, an, a second like almost like i'm a trainer with me whilst i work the dogs and um she said i took the dog out i took a buddy and he was he was brilliant and then second or third day we'd been out because again you know spaniel they can be out three times in, in a week and um i he was started like not play up he was just getting really like i know what i'm doing now apparently yeah, three days. i don't have to listen yeah and um she said to me something she said oh you you're better off taking a new dog out at the end of the season when there are less birds than there are at the beginning of the season when there's loads of birds and there's loads of scent and i thought do you know, simple things we don't know what we don't know. And until somebody mm. pointed that out to me, I hadn't thought, well, of course, that makes more sense. He, would, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing where there's thousands of birds in every field in front of him. So, you know, he's literally like, it doesn't matter where I go, I'm doing my work. And for you, it's, it's almost a similar thing, isn't it? You've mm. got, you're working on live game all the time, training. It's a hard place for a young dog to be. Oh, absolutely. And, and this is the thing, I mean, this is why certain points you don't see on a normal shoot um, because basically it's just too much, too much game. They're not suited to that kind of um, environment. They weren't bred for it. Um, what they were bred for is, you know, running wide or arranging uh, to cover l- wide distances on ground that there isn't that much game. Um, hence, your, you know, your grouse moors and stuff. Um, but it is very much that you're picking the right conditions to, tra- to train for that you know for that particular uh what you're trying to achieve um so yeah it is it's i mean like as you know i'm i i just love working them um their power their speed their style and there's nothing better than kind of i, I mean i prefer going up onto the grouse moors uh, the views are amazing but it's the same on partridge if you've got a very good uh running dog just to watch them i mean the freedom in a way that they give me um, and I have to say, I've got Spaniels as well, but I have to say the setters, my English setters are my favourites. Um, I've, I get more, I probably get more pleasure, to to be absolutely honest, um, from working them. I don't have as much opportunity to work them as I do the Spaniels. Um, but I think it's more the pleasure and uh, the freedom that uh, they they allow me. And also... With them, you're running them always on the brink of being in control, out of control. We rely on them far more uh, to work and be independent of us um, than, say, the Spaniels and Labs. Uh, you know, as we've both said, you know, you work your Spaniels really close to you. Uh, the setters and pointers, we want, far, you know, way out. Um, so as long as I have a stop or drop whistle, recall and a turn, um, and they will be obedient at 100 metres, that's that's all I'm aiming for, <laughs> which sounds, yeah, it, oh, it's just that, but, you know. <laughs> I can remember being on, on another shoot, and there was a, a HPR, and going out both sides, quite distance, and I was like, you're basically covering the distance from in front of his, his owner, 
out past five other beaters and their dogs and yeah. back and then doing the other thing I was like you might as well just do this section on your Todd yeah. <laughs> you're literally <laughs> covering the whole area um yeah. but yeah and and it is that like you just said that that knowing are you am I in control or am I not control when my dog is literally I can't even think about running after it it is already too far away yeah no exactly and I mean this is this is why we use long lines to start with and we're not talking long lines of being 10 meters we're talking I use washing lines of 40 meters plus because you know you can't you we want them working wide so we want to you know obviously what we'll do is start them off with a small beat um and then gradually as they become more and more obedient you obviously let them go out out further and all the rest of it um but it's the stopping at distance which i think you know people have the similar problems with the spaniels i think probably more uh, i always compare an english setter to a cocker spaniel is that they want to be with you and so it's quite hard to to teach the distance element and especially dropping at you know 40 50 meters um hence why a number of us have thunderers for that it's that emergency stop uh because we need you know a normal whistle sometimes won't won't um get them but um yeah it's something that i'm with my young my little pup i am working on the drop a lot because i didn't do it much with jago and so Jago, I can't, I, within Inca, I can drop her 80, 100 meters easily. Um, whereas Jago, and it, she just got it. Jago, he's far keener on his birds. And just once he's on a mission, he is on a mission. And he's, he's, he's I mean, he does listen and everything, but he does, he's, if I try and drop him at, say, 40 meters, he'll turn and look at me and then come running in and drop at my feet. Um, whereas at 20 meters he will drop (laughs) so it's just it's just one of those things Um, but the beauty uh, another beauty of I I love when I'm out working them is that and you see it in trials or whether you're working uh, or you've got two of them together is we have um, what people you won't have in the uh, Spaniel labs we have uh, dogs backing one another um, and you can have uh, multiple dogs backing if you're working three or four at a time. And it happens with the HPRs, obviously, because they're pointing as well. Um, but the beauty is, is you have a dog that goes on point um, and then it's backed by another dog, um, which is lovely to see. And it's the, some dogs don't back. It's just, you know, uh, they just don't. Um, you can teach a dog to back. But I prefer to see it when it's naturally done. And I actually um, had my young one. He pointed, I think he backed Inca at four or five months old. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> you know, it was, it was on a pipit in a you know, grassy field. But it was so lovely to see and just see how that working ability is so natural to them. All we're doing is manipulating and building that relationship and team with them. Um, so that they work for us rather than work for themselves. But otherwise, the quartering into the wind, the pointing, everything is just natural. Um, and that's, I think, why I love the, the breed so much is, uh, is the, the absolute natural um, ability of them. When you say back, I'm assuming that means that they mimic the personal part. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I should I should should have clarified that. Yeah. No, so I think it, it's we all do it, don't we? We think, oh, yeah. you will understand what I'm on about. But again, like if you're not from that world, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's a different language. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so talking about like if there's people listening to this now and they're like, these sound amazing, I do have access to the type of environments um that Lucy is talking about, but I'm inexperienced with dogs. Is this some other breed where you can like you know, everyone's got to start somewhere, so you can learn to do it. Or do you need access to the right environment plus access to somebody who can help you train them? Well, this is the this is the thing is because we're such a small community of people um, that have and work the Sutton Pointer breeds. It's not like you have tra- um, trainers that are experienced with these breeds everywhere, like spaniels and labs, and. I must say I wouldn't advise people with these um, with setters and pointers going to your standard um, lab and spaniel trainers unless they've had they have got them and worked them themselves because not being funny these guys just and I'm going to sound rude here but they don't really know what they're doing and I've had um, a friend of mine who well we 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 met on the LWDG actually she had um, an Irish setter. Uh, she bought it, did a working one, didn't have a clue what she, uh, she was going in for and was just like, what the hell do I do with this dog? Um, and anyway, uh, we met up um, nearly coming up two years ago and I've introduced her to a number of people and she is now trialing her. She's actually going to Norfolk next week um, and she's doing really, really well with him. Um, but she actually, the uh, reason I wanted to say this was she went to a let's call them a standard gun dog trainer and she was getting frustrated because of course the dog was being um, in a group lesson with spaniels and labs the dog was let's call I think uh, Cedric was six six months old and there was spaniels and labs in there that were let's say three months old and doing everything correct you know walking to heel um, sitting and staying for long periods of time and and retrieving and this Irish setter wasn't doing any of that his um, pace, you know, concentration span was of that of a gnat. And that is compared to the others. And that is actually characteristic of them because they grow up so much slower. You do everything at a slower pace. Um, we don't, they are not natural retrievers. So that isn't really a reward to them. And she was getting frustrated because he wasn't doing what, you know, all these young, much younger dogs were doing. Um, so you do need to pick the right person to go and see and I have to say sadly there aren't many um there aren't any I would say professional um setter and pointer trainers um unfortunately um we do now have a number of HPR um people who have handled HPRs at trials and stuff who have now jumped ship and come over into the setter and pointer community and have now worked English pointers and various breeds of setters um and uh, there is one in particular, Rory Major of Bryant's Croft Gun Dogs, which I'm uh, in Lincolnshire that a lot of people have known. And he, I'm not sure though whether he does um, one-to-ones or anything like that, but he's a great person to um, chat to um, from a trainer point of point of view. Um, but fail, failing that, uh, what I'd say is the English Setter Club and the Pointer Club do run training days. Um, and there are a couple of training days throughout the year. Um, another great thing and more and more people are doing is actually coming coming and seeing what uh, coming and seeing a field trial um, a field trial for points and setters I'd say is different to the spaniels and labs it very much shows exactly how we work how you know they're bred to work and what we do um, if we're not 
you know, trialing them. So, and you can see exactly, you see the breeds also um, competing together. We uh, compete and brace, i.e. two dogs. Um, we'll go, I shouldn't say against one another. I get told off it's with one another. Um, and, um, and as I said, all the breeds, except if you're in a breed stake, um, and then that's only, you know, you'll have your English set of breed stake, your Irish set of breed stake. Um, and that is a great way to come and see what the, if you're interested. And we have had a few LWDG people come to the trials who have got either GSPs or other breeds, and they've been really, really interested in seeing them. And everyone's also commented on how welcoming everyone is because we're such a small community. Everyone, we want more people to get involved and run these dogs. Um, and so it's been really lovely meeting them. And a few of them, we've got, you know, I think we've got five or six more people, you know, kind of join, um, join the community and start working their dogs. So, which is really lovely. Um, I'd say if, I'd, of course, I'd say, you know, get involved, come, come and do it. They are amazing dogs. And you, yes, you have to put a lot of work in, um, like you do with any dog. Um, and you might not reap the benefits so quick as a Spaniel or Lab. It may take three or four years. But the achievement and the enjoyment afterwards is absolutely amazing. So, And of course, anyone who's listening to this, who's either in our uh, fan community or society member can always uh, hit you up too. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I'm afraid if I see a setter or pointer post on the LWDG, I do jump on it. And I, you know, I love to help people and I'm, I'm sure there might be a few people listening here who has, have been in contact with me or I've been in contact with them and we've, and people will know that I do, as you can tell, chat about it a lot. Um, and you know, if you do want to chat, you have to tell me to stop sometimes, or I tell myself to stop because all I want to do is help people out and, you know, put the, point them in the right direction to people I know that might be in the their location um so that, that so that they can help and get the best out of their dogs um but we're a wonderful load of people and uh would just you know just want to see more points and setters worked and you know well work to their to the you know why the what the breed was bred for yeah because i think the saddest uh thing that could happen is that we lose the breeds because they become mm -hmm. such a small breed that it almost becomes like like an inbreed, doesn't it? Because there's just not enough, the, the lines will become too close. For anybody listening who, um, you know, wants to get hold of you, I know a lot of gentlemen listen to this and maybe aren't part of our fan community or our society. How do they get hold of you if they're like, look, I just want to ask Lucy some questions? You can easily get, I'm on Instagram. I have a business page because I'm an events organiser, completely different to my passions, but uh, it's Lucy Claire Events. Or otherwise, I do have my personal Insta page, which is Lucy Hall 51 um, and you'll see lots of dogs and what have you uh but otherwise i'm also on facebook just normal lucy hall um or otherwise um i don't know if i'm allowed to give my mobile number you can ask joe for my mobile number i'm happy for people to text message whatsapp whatever so um yeah anyone's welcome <laughs> thank you so much for doing this podcast because i always feel like the setter community within the LWGG as you've made like clear across the UK is small so sometimes it's really hard for us to put a lot on the 
for the theater people mm. and I you know I would love to see more people like even just being aware of it and looking at it because some people rule out the breeds when in fact they do have the opportunity to be involved in them and might actually really love being part of them Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think definitely it would be lovely to be able to showcase what these what these dogs can do. And I think probably the easiest way to do it is potentially do an LWDG shoot day or something like that. Or maybe, you know, maybe we could do a demo or something uh, on a combined thing with labs and spaniels as well. So yeah. Food for thought. I definitely, for thought. <laughs> think, I definitely want us to do some more. And even if we look back to last year in, in the Welsh Games Bay, when we just showed a little bit of the difference between like mm. the you know the Spaniards and the Retrievers and your gorgeous Sasha, they were you know it was interesting even in that small area to see the different way they behaved. Mm. I definitely think we should do something. Before we leave this podcast, obviously you're our regional organiser for the Midlands, but that doesn't mean you're just dealing with setters for the Midlands today. You are the regional organiser for everything that we're going to have going on next year. Um, Mm -hmm. People can contact you the same ways, yeah? Yes, absolutely. And I'd love people to contact um, and, you know, get in touch about what potentially they want to do next year. I did organise an HPR day down south. Um, I'd love to organise another, uh, you know, potentially another one next year for maybe um, further a bit up north. Um, And then maybe some more, uh, you know, general days. Um, I know, obviously, uh, the other girls have organised some fabulous uh, working test uh, days and uh, Sam did her wonderful heel heel work masterclass. Um, So, you know, I'd love to do, be able to do more for people in the Midlands. So, if you want to, if you've got any ideas, then hit me up. Um, yeah. And the Midlands Friend Views listening um, from a regional perspective, the UK is roughly cut into Scotland in the north, vast amount of space, <laughs> Wales in the west, vast amount of space, the Midlands, pretty much everything that's north of the M25, um, and the southeast, which is pretty much everything south of of the uh, not south of the m25 m4 um and but doesn't go down like past shall we say bristol uh yeah. they are really rough areas and they pretty much you can go into any different area you don't have to stay in your area you can go and do any uh event anywhere but they're just loose areas that you can mm. find going on in so lucy basically covers probably from like yorkshire-ish down to like london-ish maybe over to wales-ish it it, it is a huge area um but if you have any ideas of anything that you want to go on in in that region talk to lucy first and she'll be there also just going to quickly add as well is that for the more kind of let's say HPR point and setter kind of events they obviously are going to there's be fewer of them but also people people we do need people to travel um and for me as I'm a point and setter person I have to travel three or four hours sometimes to go and do my training and what have you um but because Spaniel Spaniel Labs they're lucky because there's lots of trainers on doorsteps and stuff so people don't need to travel far but I'm afraid for the HPR people and the uh, the point and setter people I'm afraid travel does come into it and um if you know there is two or three hours travel I'm afraid sometimes just to go and get that really good day of training it is definitely worth the travel uh just wanted to 
pop that in. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's the same for like even for the Spaniards and the labs and things like that. Like I live in South Wales, um, and sometimes I have to travel over an hour and a half just to go beating because mm. isn't the um the setup locally for driven days. So it's it's about like committing to it a little bit, isn't it? You know, yeah. To go to where the event can happen rather than expecting the event to come to us. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, if you want to get the training, uh you you just have to, yeah, put a little bit put a little bit of effort in, put a bit of time in. Um and that's just the just unfortunately the way it is. <laughs> Plus I always think like um when I've gone to places further away, um I've had to work my dog over different terrain like stuff yeah. that's quite close to me you know is very you know, the Brecon beacons I'm not allowed to call it that anymore apparently according to Welsh Assembly Government I've got to call it Banai Brechinog I've good luck with that every <laughs> day in Wales um, and uh, you know we've got very hilly terrain very wet terrain it's it, you know it, it is that way and then you can take the dogs to go and work somewhere like Hereford and it becomes far gentler mm. far bigger and you know it's good for the dogs to go to different places because it's, it goes back to what our experts keep on talking about all the time which is proof your dog in different places different different. Mm-hmm. So absolutely it's absolutely worth doing it so thank you very much for uh your time lucy we love Pleasure. you best, and we love you so much for all the hard work you do do within the group as an organizer but also as our hpr person um for anybody who's listening who isn't part of our society membership, please just join our Facebook fan community. You literally look for Ladies Working Dog Group Fan Community. It's a free group for anybody who just wants to like know and find out more about us and maybe don't know if they want to get involved yet and want to sort of like sit on the outskirts and just watch what's going on. It's a perfect place for you to go. You get uh, loads of involvement in the community, meet lots of people. Um, before maybe making a step on to becoming one of our members. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this. Even if you don't have setters, we hope you've enjoyed finding out more about them and being more informed and understanding. Even if it's not something that you'll use in the, in the future, it might be something that helps you help a friend decide whether they want to go down that route or not. Um, and also everything we learn is always good for us. So we shall speak to you all uh, next week and hope you have a fabulous week with you and your dog. Goodbye. That's a wrap on today's episode of Found It, Fetched It. Thanks for listening. If you found our conversation valuable, Please could you do us a favour and subscribe and leave a review so other people just like me and you can find the podcast. For the ladies out there who are passionate about gun dog training and want more tips, live sessions and a community that gets it, you're welcome to join our membership. Just visit www.thelwdg.com to learn more. Until next time, keep working with your gun dog and take care.